Okay. So last night we studied the Parsha Shloth that talked about no not Shloth, I'm sorry, Korach that talked about the sin of Korach and the people who joined in his rebellion. And on the surface when you read that Parsha you would think there's really not anything I can see there that would really talk about healing. I mean all of a sudden Moshe instead of praying for the gentle sweet prayers of asking Hashem to relent turns to this prayer saying just destroy these people in a very special way so that they will all know that this was a rebellion and that I was sent by you. So it's kind of a different voice for Moshe than what we're used to. But yet that voice that he had then where he is quelling the rebellion is a very important thing because otherwise it would just go unchecked and the people would just keep on going and wondering and doubting and and so there had to be a time where he said enough is enough but what's interesting about that is that even in the midst of all of that the rebellion the, the arrogance of Korach his greed and all of the negative things that we can say about him there was an aspect of Korach that was commendable one thing that we know is that his sons were in a constant state of repentance after that uh, we talked about On, the other man in the rebellion, but his sons were in a constant state of repentance after that. And several of the Psalms are actually composed by the sons of Korach. Interestingly, so the sons of Korach did do tshuva, and we see that in the Midrash it says that they were on their way down into the pit, and they in that instant did tshuva, and Hashem lifted them out. So it shows you it's never too late. It's never too late to turn things around. Now, it might seem like it's too late because you're going down. And physically, it may be. But as far as your soul is concerned, it keeps going and there keeps being hope for you on a soul level. So one reason that Korach sinned the way he did was that he looked forward in time he had a measure of prophecy and he looked forward in time and he saw that he had an illustrious descendant so obviously he must have succeeded in the rebellion he must be the new leader and because he's this great leader then he has this illustrious descendant who is illustrious and so on because he's descended from this great leader well that's not the way it was going to happen at all and the illustrious descendant that he had was indeed Samuel the prophet and he was descended the uh, the father of Samuel was actually the descendant of Korah and his name was Elkanah and Elkanah was a Levite who lived in the mountains of Ephraim and he had two wives 
One wife's name was Penina, and she had several sons, and the other wife's name was Hannah, and she had no children. And year after year, this was really a source of bitterness for Hannah. They would go to the tabernacle, to the Mishkan, and he would bring sacrifices for his children, thanks offerings for his children that he had with Benina. But for Hannah, he would have to bring something just for her because there were no children. So she was in um, bitterness of spirit. She was very, very sorrowful, and she was weeping. And Elkanah tried to comfort her, saying to her, Well, aren't I better to you than ten sons? Because he loved her very much. These words, even though it was said from a place of real love for her, really did not bring her comfort. Because, on the other hand, the other wife, Panina, was always kneeling her and always scoffing at her and, and calling her names and teasing her that she was barren, she had no children, and it was very hurtful to Hannah. And it wasn't just that, it was, it was the whole idea of she was barren. Panina's words were true. So she was crying and praying to Hashem. And as we look at that, we would say, oh, Panina was really this very spiteful, nasty woman. But on the other hand, there's a positive way of looking at this. Hannah was meant to bring forth a special child. But Hannah had to be prepared for that. So it was withheld from her. And this is one of the things that we can look at when we see times where we're not getting what we want where we're we seem to have nothing going our way where our lives are empty our lives are dissatisfying um, everything seems to go wrong we don't get the right job we don't have the children that we want everything seems to go wrong and yet we could very possibly be Hashem could very possibly be putting us into a situation that he wants us in creating a situation with these circumstances in order to get us to a certain heartfelt prayer and this is exactly what he was doing with Hannah because Hannah's prayer was going to draw down something into the world very very special so when they went to the tabernacle this time, she didn't eat. She didn't eat. She didn't drink. All she wanted to do was she wanted to pray. And we find her prayer. Now this is in the first chapter of the book of, of 1 Samuel. And we see that in the 11th verse we see her prayer. She vowed a vow and said, God of hosts, and God here is Yudhe Vokhe, if you will see 
If you will look and see the privation of your handmaid, and you will remember me and not forget your handmaid, and you will give your handmaid a child among men, then I will give him to God all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come upon his head. Now if she had had a child in her first year of marriage or her second year of marriage or something, she may not have been prone to make this kind of vow. She made a vow that is called a neder. It was a binding vow. So, let's look at this prayer that she prays first of all. She prays a prayer and she uses the name Yudhevavchei Tzevaot or God of hosts, Lord of hosts is the way that we normally say this. And according to our traditions from Rabbi Elazar, he says that from the day that God created the world until Hannah's time, no one had ever referred to God as God of hosts or Lord of hosts. This is the first time it's ever been used and it is recorded for all time in the prophets. Hannah is called a prophetess and it's recorded for all time in the prophets this name, this way of addressing Hashem. And this way of addressing Hashem is indeed connected to the prophetic gift that came into the world through Moshe Rabbeinu. So it is connected to how Hashem's attribute here, victory, is seen in the personification of Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, our teacher. So she is praying in the name of Lord of Hosts. And her prayer actually consists of three requests, we see. That she's asking Hashem to observe her suffering, to remember her good deeds and righteousness, and to not cast her off because of any misdeed that she may have committed. She's asking him to look and see her suffering. Look and see what she's feeling inside. Look inside of her heart. And then she makes this vow. Now it's very interesting when we look at how she structures this prayer. After she has said, do not forget your handmaiden, and so on, she says, if you will give your handmaid a child among men. So on the surface, we can see this. First of all, she's asking for a son. That's obvious. But the second thing that we see that she's asking for, it's the same kind of term when we use the term ish. And let me go right to this. In Hebrew, here it says, and on a shame. Okay. Natata le Amatacha. Techa Zar Anashim. Okay, so she is saying Zar, Zar, Zera, I'm sorry, Zera. And 
what she's saying is a male, obviously, but she's also saying among men. And so she's asking for a son who would be one who is distinguished, of a distinguished personality, someone who is wise and clever, and ultimately this is also a term that is used for a prophet that is called a uh, man. This is a term that's used when it is referring to a prophet too. Great and righteous, wise and clever, having these qualities. So what she's doing is she is praying for the soul, the qualities of the soul of this child. She's praying this child down into the world. This is a very important thing about our prayers that we have to formulate, you know, we have to think about how prayers are formulated. And when we're thinking about, like for instance, one of the most sorrowful states of being for a woman is when she wants a child so badly and she can't, cannot conceive. So among the matriarchs that we read of in the Torah, we have a lot of cases where women have been barren, they have not been able to conceive, and the reason is because Hashem is waiting for them to get to that place in their life that they're ready, but not only that they're ready because their lifestyle is conducive to having this, per this child, but also that they're ready to say the right prayer in their hearts. Their souls are prepared to say that right prayer because their souls are connected with this very elevated soul in heaven. And they have to be able to say these words to draw him down into the world. This is absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, a prayer for women to say. A prayer for a mother to say in the world. A father can pray also. I mean, we do see father's prayers. But over and over and over, we see this theme played out of a mother praying a soul down into the world. And we think about how that happens. And first of all, and it would be something that she could not possibly be conscious about in her own mind, but first of all, her soul is already, from the very beginning of time, connected to that soul that she's praying down, that child soul. That's the first thing. And second of all, her soul has to get to the point where it is ready to be the vessel of this prayer coming forth because she's also not just preparing to birth a physical child into the world she's connecting with this soul that's one thing but she's also before she can do that the first thing she really has to birth into the world is this prayer she has to birth these words into the world these words have to come forth from her, from her heart, to be able to connect with the throne of Hashem, because the souls of the, 
of these children, these very, very high souls, emanate from beneath the throne of heaven, of Hashem. So she has to be prepared to say those words in order to connect with heaven in this very special way to draw this soul down into the world. So Hashem was putting these words into her heart because it was his will that Samuel be born into the world at this particular time. And it was his will that Hannah be the mother. Hannah is uttering actually a prophecy. And this is the first thing before Samuel is ever conceived the first thing that had to be conceived was this prayer. Was this prophecy from his mother that it's born into her heart and it comes forth from her soul this way. So she is bringing forth this prayer. She's speaking this out into the world so that it makes it possible for this soul to come into the world. And essentially her prayer is, we're looking at this again, she had to come to that point where she's willing to do all this. I mean, it's not a small thing for a mother to say, and I will give him to Hashem for all the days of his life. And this is what she's praying. She's praying that he's going to be a prophet, and not only a prophet, but a very special type of prophet, a Nazir, that no razor will ever come upon his head all the days of his life now this is something else that's kind of unusual when we look at a priest because Samuel becomes the high priest and the priests all had to cut their hair but in Samuel's case because of this vow given by his mother he was exempt from that um, cutting of his hair no razor ever was to come upon his head not only that, being a Nazir, he could not drink wine, he could not eat any great products, he could not, and a Cohen, of course, couldn't anyway be exposed to the dead at all. It was a very special closeness to Hashem that she is dedicating her child to. And not only that, that he won't be in her own home. She's dedicating him to service to Hashem. And he's going to be given to the tabernacle from the time he's weaned, from the time he's a little bitty boy. And so, essentially, he's going to be raised by Eli, the, pro the high priest. And, of course, we know that Eli's sons were all very wicked men, and they all ended up dying. And so, Samuel is being groomed from the time before he's even conceived. I mean, think about that. That he is destined to be the high priest. He is destined to be the last judge of Israel. And so he's a very, very special soul. And this is the soul that Korach saw. This is the man Korach saw as being descended from him. And so that's what gave him the chutzpah, as we say in Hebrew, the chutzpah to go against Moshe because he thinks, well, if this very illustrious prophet is going to be descended from me, in fact, it's very interesting that we'll, we'll read references to 
Moshe, Aaron, Miriam, and Samuel. It's very interesting because, as we said, Hannah here, when she talks to Hashem, she addresses him as Yudhevachevaot, the, the name associated with and personified by Moshe Rabbeinu. So Samuel's prophecy is going to be very, very high. In fact, he is called a seer. After he's born, he's called a seer. So she vows that he's going to be dedicated to Hashem in a very, very special way. So this is one of the ways that her um, her barrenness is healed as it were is that she comes to a place herself where it's time it's time for it to be over because she is ready to bring forth this very very special child now a mother can only pledge her son to be a Nazir while he is a child once matured Samuel had to choose for himself whether to continue this lifestyle. And this is true of every time we read about this. We read about it in the case of Samson as well, that his mother was told that he would be a Nazir all his life. But even during childhood, Hannah's pledge was only valid provided Samuel's father agreed to it. And Elkanah later told Hannah, do what is proper in your eyes. And we find that in the 23rd verse of the first chapter so it can be construed that what he said was amen to the vow that she made he wasn't there for her vow he didn't hear it firsthand as he was there but it was okay afterwards she told him and he said that was fine so this child was born and he was dedicated to the tabernacle and Ailee um, took him to raise him and we we hear all kinds of really wonderful things about Samuel but let's just see something else about not just the prayer of Hannah but then we look at the song of Hannah now in the song of Hannah and this is in the second chapter And then this is after Samuel is born and he's dedicated to the temple. She takes him to the temple after he is weaned. And the song of Hannah is considered one of the shirot of the, of the uh, Tanakh. So I'm going to just read it. And then I want to go back and I want to talk about something as we're um, looking at this. Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in God. My horn is exalted in God. My mouth is enlarged over my enemies, for I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy as God, for there is none beside you, neither is there a rock like our God. Speak no more so very proudly. Let not harshness come from your mouth, for a God of knowledge is the Lord, and by him all actions are counted. The bow of the mighty are broken, and they have been stumbling 
they that have been stumbling were girded with might. They that were full have hired themselves out for bread, and they that were hungry have ceased, until the barren has borne seven, and she with many children was plucked. Now this is a reference to herself as the barren, and the one with many children was Penina, that as a, it was a punishment, it was almost like from her own mouth that she was taunting Hannah, so as Hannah would have her children, Penina's children were taken from her. Penina's children died. Now in the next verse is one we're going to come back to. God kills and gives life. He lures to the grave and brings up. God impoverishes, makes rich. He makes low and other likewise lifts up. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts up the destitute from the dunghill to set them with the nobles to make them possess the throne of glory for to God are the foundations of the earth and he set the world upon them the feet of his devotees he will keep and the wicked will be silent in the darkness for not by strength will a man prevail God his adversaries will be broken Against them will he thunder from heaven. God will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give might unto his king, and exalt the horn of his anointed. Interestingly, that when Samuel went to anoint David, he used a horn. And this is a reference to that. And this is the last verse of her song. He anointed David with a horn, and he anointed Saul with a cruise, that little juglet of anointing oil. He anointed Saul with this. But let's go back for a moment to the sixth verse of the second chapter. God kills and gives life. He lowers to the grave and brings up. Now the grave here is not kever in Hebrew, but rather sheol. And this is a reference to Korah, where Hannah is praying. She's prayed for Samuel, and she's drawn his soul down into the world with her beautiful prayer of prophecy. She knows prophetically. She knows. And it's interesting how it's this connection of the souls, and it's this connection and this knowing. And this is, all has to do with healing. And Hannah knew that Korach sinned because he saw her son. She knew that he brought upon himself the most horrendous thing. Going down into the, war, into the earth alive, being buried alive like that, he brought upon himself the most horrendous punishment because he saw Samuel. And so in her song, as she's praising Hashem for what he's done, bringing Samuel into the world she asks a favor of Hashem she asks for a reversal the very thing Moshe himself could not do he wasn't in a place he could do it because when he was in that position of having to face down the rebels that were coming at him and trying to usurp his authority and essentially usurping the authority of Hashem 
He had no choice but to stand firm and say, Give them no mercy. Let the earth open up and swallow them. He had no choice. That was the position he had to take. Now, not only did Hashem prepare Hannah to be the vessel through which Samuel would come down into the world, his soul, because she connects with his soul, she also connected with the soul of Korach, not her relative, but the relative of her husband. Now, interestingly, that when people are married, that their souls are joined. So her soul was joined to his soul, and so therefore she had a connection to Korach through that connection to her husband's soul. And she understood that Korach made this terrible error of judgment because he saw Samuel. And she understood that it could be construed as partly being their fault that Korach stumbled like this. So in her prayer, where she's saying this, she says, he kills and gives life. He lowers down to Sheol and brings up. So she's praying that in the resurrection, she's alluding to Korach here, and she's praying that in the resurrection, please remember Korach. Please remember him, that his fall will not be due to us. Please let him also partake in the resurrection. It's interesting how we look at this and we see that there are certain people that Hashem brings into the world and these people can be vessels of certain prayers. Moshe could not pray this prayer. He had to stand firm. He had to do what he had to do at that time. And we see that very, very clearly. But here came Hannah. And Hannah was prepared like this vessel through which Hashem could bring Samuel into the world, bring the prayer for Samuel into the world. Interestingly, there had to be that prayer to perceive the soul coming into the world and also to pray for the relenting. See, this is a connecting with the crown of Hashem, with the will of Hashem that we've talked about before that it is something that has to be spoken something that needs to be spoken into the world and so he places that prayer into the heart of a certain person a special person that is specially prepared for that very prayer and that very prayer of asking Hashem to relent even in something so horrendous as the earth opening up and swallowing this man alive I mean, think about it. It doesn't get much worse than that, does it? But yet, it was in the will of Hashem. And it's interesting, too, that the commentators say that when Hannah prayed this prayer of dedicating Samuel to Hashem and said, I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, that she was like preparing a crown for the king. She was with each word placing the jewels into the crown for the king that would be perfect for him to give over to the king and in Hebrew the word for crown is keter 
but this is also the word the crown of Hashem is his will so Hana was connected to the will of Hashem in this very special way that she was able to know in her own God she had that knowing that knowledge of what Hashem's ultimate will was going to be so all these years later after this incident with Korach she understood that Hashem did not intend and you notice it's Korach it is not Avi, Ram, and Datan at all they're not mentioned just Korach that he did not intend for Korach to be damned forever that was not in his plan that there was something redeeming there was some quality as, as much of a rebel as he was there was still some measure some quality within Korach that merited that he should have somebody pray for him now think about that how incredible that is that Hashem sees the, sees the souls of people around and he knows and he connects the people with the person soul to soul the person who is meant to bring this prayer into the world for that specific person isn't that incredible and think about it too like this I mean all of our lives in our past lives right we always think that once a person was dead that was it story's over end of story no more hope we don't pray anymore for them and here we see it's alluded to but it's still in our midrash that that's not so that there's never a time when there's not hope because the soul goes on even a soul like Korach I mean this just blows your mind because Korach we would think he's been swallowed by the earth alive he goes down into shell he would think that's it he's wiped out but no our tradition tells us that Hannah was given this prayer for a very specific reason very very special because Hashem intended that Korach be in the resurrection and so in order for that to happen he had to place that into the heart of the mother of the very one that Korach saw that caused him to stumble now remember last night we were talking about how Korach saw Samuel and he jumped to a conclusion he saw Samuel so he concluded that he didn't have to worry about anything because he was going to have this illustrious descendant so his rebellion was going to be successful we have to be really careful about conclusions but yet in spite of the fact that his motive was corrupt he wanted power he wanted position still in a way we could say that there was some merit to it because just like the 250 followers who wanted to do the, the rituals of the tabernacle it was for this for the sake of heaven Korach we can say had a similar motive that in his heart in spite of some of his other um, not so pure motives that there was still a spark of this the desire to do the Avodah the service 
of the tabernacle is really very, very praiseworthy. So there was that spark there of a purer motive. And so because there was a spark of something pure there, as opposed to Datan and Aviram, who obviously had nothing going for them, he merited to have this very great soul, Hannah, a prophetess, pray for him. That it was put into her heart to see and to feel this. To have an understanding of the tragedy of Korah. And to have a desire for that to be set right. Now she didn't ask for something that would have been a little bit outlandish. You know, like let him rise from the dead or something like that. She's not asking for that, not in her lifetime anyway, but she's asking that in the resurrection <clears throat> that he have a part in the world to come. Because there is this idea in Jewish thought of death and death. There is this idea of we have life in this world and we have life in the world to come. We have life and life or we have death and really death and death as it as pertains to the body passing away is not the end of the soul and a person who would merit to ha not take part in the world to come has, has to be really 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 beyond the pale of evil and we could think of some people who might qualify for that. But overall, there is this idea of life in the world to come. And so she is praying for this for Korah, that she is wanting him to take part in this. So <clears throat> that's the, that is her prayer. So the commentator says she was concerned for Korach. Now Korach was no fool. Indeed he was quite clever and had even attained a certain degree of prophecy. Though this was what led to his downfall. Korach had seen in a vision the illustrious leader of the Jews, namely Samuel, was to descend from him. And he therefore reasoned that it was not possible for him to perish. Not possible. See that? for him to perish with Moshe against, uh, in his rebellion against Moshe. So this led him to sin. So Hannah didn't want her son to share any of the blame for Korach's eternal doom. So she prayed for Korach's salvation. There is an opinion that this verse is intended to justify Hannah's previous statements regarding God's providence. Maybe ask how you can praise God's providence when we see that he also allows good people to die prematurely or he impoverishes them. She therefore declares that God punishes the righteous for their few sins as to leave them pure, worthy of enjoying the future and everlasting happiness. Then thus God kills in order to give life in the world to come. He impoverishes in order to make rich in the future life. And so this is why she's saying he kills and gives life. She's talking about the providence of God here. 
So, <clears throat> and then she goes on with the same thing of he impoverishes and makes rich. He brings low and he lifts up. There's this, all of this idea about divine providence that she has here in praising Hashem that everything is in his hands. Now, this is really a prayer of faith for her, too, that she's gone through all of the things that she's gone through, that she has been a barren woman, and now she is praising Hashem like this as she sees this through hindsight. She sees this. She's able to relate to this, that, she, that he lifts up the poor from the dust, she, the, de, the destitute from the dunghill that she, she herself feels lifted up she herself feels um, that she has been redeemed from her former state and so this is why also that she is praying this for Korach because Korach with what he did in the rebellion against Moshe really did merit death he really did in a real way he did merit death but she is looking for that one spark within him that would be enough and she's praying for it to be brought forth and she's seeing this she's seeing this connection just like she connected with the soul of, of Shmuel of Samuel she connects too with the soul of Korach and she's praying for that one spark to come forth and to merit him to be able to be um, to be saved in the end of time and to have part in the world to come. So this is very thought-provoking. I mean, it's it's a different way of looking at healing. It's a totally different way of looking at healing. Because it goes into this whole idea of the souls and the connection of soul to soul and how Hashem uses different people as vessels for those certain prayers for certain souls as He connects them to, get to each other. And there's this having to be conscious, you know, this special, special consciousness of the soul. And, have, and the consciousness of where the soul is himself and also the consciousness of the connection to the other souls and that is something that we really see with Hannah connecting with the soul of Shmuel who had not come down into the world at all in the beginning with her first prayer and then also connecting with the soul of Korach who had been in the world before and he had passed on so this is kind of an interesting thing here that it's uh, it's an interesting kind of praying praying for a soul that hasn't come down yet and praying for a soul that has passed on and we see both of these kind of themes in the prayers of Hannah so and it does require, as we can see, that Hannah was a very, very special, very mature soul herself. And she had suffered a lot to get to that place where she could be used by Hashem like that. She had suffered a lot of 
abuse from Panina, her the other wife. She had suffered a lot of probably castigation of her of herself within her own mind on herself of why was she so unworthy to bring children into the world? She was crying so much before she conceived Samuel. She was really, really miserable over her own state. And so, as you see that, as she's praying in the first place, she's even thinking that it's because of her own sin. It's because of her own unworthiness. But yet, that experience that she went through itself molded her into the vessel that was able to bring these things about. And indeed, we can see that as being an aspect of mother because she is bringing these souls, Samuel, from heaven into the world of that we live in now. And she's praying also for the soul of Korah to go from Sheol into the redemption. So she's praying for a passing of these two souls, a soul from the past and a soul from the future, a passing of these two souls from one world into another world. It's really phenomenal when we think about that. We think about that in terms of what healing can really be all about, of coming closer to Hashem, of healing those rifts that separate us from Hashem, and helping a soul with the prayer as we connect with his crown to pass from one realm to another realm. So does anyone have something that you would like to comment or something you would like to ask about this class tonight? I know that it's it's a different kind of way of thinking. It's a different way of thinking about things from what we may have been used to in the past but this is the real thing and we have um, we have precedent for it here in the, in the written Torah as it is expounded in the Midrash so it's always interesting when we can see the broader pictures of the Torah questions Comments? Debbie is typing here.
Jacoby said, You have said from time to time that so-and-so had a degree of prophecy, and later you said that Korach attained a degree of prophecy. Did or do all have a degree of prophecy at that time, or even at that this time? Well, Korach lived in a vicinity among the people of Israel where he could pick up on it, but it was not clear for him. And so it was just a, a tiny degree, and so he came to a conclusion, he jumped to a conclusion with what he saw of what it meant. Now when Moshe Rabbeinu would have prophecy, or when um, Samuel the prophet would have prophecy, it was a completely different thing from Korach's type of prophecy. Korach's type of prophecy was more like we would say an impression of something where he couldn't really define it but he made the mistake of trying to define it. It was an impression of something that he knew was coming. He didn't really have all of the details and so he jumped to a conclusion and this was his downfall. Nowadays you will have I, and I think that this is more what people have now is an impression of what could be coming based on um, studying Torah or something. Now there are some people who have a stronger degree of that than other people but actual prophecy like what the prophets experience in biblical times the rabbis tell us doesn't really exist today. You can have dreams, visions, you can have some degree of knowing something through prayer where something will come to you, but like the story of Korah, we have to really be careful of coming to conclusions of what that means. You have to really treat that carefully. And there are a lot of people who will say, oh, I had a dream of this. And so they'll jump off the deep end and do something that later they really regret. So we have to really treat that carefully. In the meantime, you know, if you have an impression of something, you can pray in that direction. Because sometimes it'll just be an inkling. And it'll be a it'll be true and it can grow if you just give it some time and then when something actually happens you can have this having known from back there that you go ah that's what Hashem was showing me and it can be a confirmation does that kind of clarify that for you Debbie because we hear a lot you know especially in our past lives we hear a lot about prophecy and words of knowledge and understanding and stuff like that. But people have made some serious mistakes with that. So we have to just really take that, take it very lightly and, you know, step by step.
I know that this whole whole subject can bring up a lot of questions here. In an earlier class, you asked us to meditate on our purpose of, for being. Do you think this was Hana's purpose? Oh, absolutely. But you see how she, in her earlier life, went through all of these all of these sorrows before she was ready to give birth to Samuel and even before she was ready to pray for Samuel and that prayer and bringing him into the world and the prayer for Korah were absolutely the purpose of Hannah in the world she brought us so many things even the prayer where she prays Yud-Hevoch-Hevot I mean she's praying a prayer with the name that had never been used before She's bringing that name down into the world. So many times, just as our souls are vessels for prayer, or, or we have purpose in the world, sometimes our souls come into the world specifically to say certain prayers. And this is something also that's really an interesting idea. Do you remember when we were talking about the Sota? It was uh, a couple weeks ago. We were talking about the water droplets and how there were there was water taken from different places around in the world. Okay. And the different ones looked different. Alright. Now one of the things that came to me while I was traveling was I had this deep feeling that each place has its own vibration and each place had its own connection in heaven and it had its own specific prayers that needed to be prayed for it. Just like every soul has specific needs and specific prayers that need to be prayed to bring it to healing. Yeah? Okay. Each place also has those kind of needs of certain things to be said for them. And so I believe now this is my own personal belief that just as that Hashem sends souls into the world to connect with other souls that need those prayers said for them and he takes people to places that have to have certain prayers said in those places and just like we were saying that the prayer, the ceremony for the Sota had to be done in the tabernacle and part of that formula for the water was the dust from the floor in the tabernacle had to be done in that one specific place. Sacrifices had to be done in the temple or in the tabernacle. They couldn't be done just anywhere people felt like. Those prayers, those ceremonies had to be done in the confines of that specific place. So yeah, this is another thing about a purpose of our soul in the world that we can come into the world essentially to say those kind of prayers. I think there are people who come into the world specifically for certain prayers that need to be prayed. And that's a really deep thought. We really try to connect with that thought. I mean, think about that that you're coming to the world specifically to say a certain thing at a certain time in a certain place 
to a certain person even maybe or about a certain person can you imagine and so this is another way that we can even look at um, our purpose in the world from the time before we were even born and think about Samuel I mean he was prayed down into the world and he definitely had specific purposes for his soul and Hannah even verbalized some of the purpose that he would be a prophet that he would be a man of, of distinction she prayed this specific thing kind of praying his soul the characteristics of his soul before he even came into the world it was like creative speech she was doing and it was necessary to draw him into the world at that particular time it was put into her heart it was a prophetic prayer that Hashem placed in her we can see that in the prayers of other mothers as well but really it's very strong in the prayers of Hannah so are there any other questions real quick okay thank you for joining me and I look forward to seeing all of you in our class next Monday night and Tuesday night so thank you and I hope that all of you are going to think about these prayers of Hannah and the magnitude of them and how what it means in your own life so I'll see you next week <laughs>